Dog Works Radio is sponsored by Alaska Dog Works. Check out their website at alaskadogworks.com. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Hello and welcome everybody to Mushing Radio. This is Robert and today I am joined by Brent Sass. He is calling in from Eureka, Alaska. We're going to talk all about Iditarod, Yukon Quest, his expeditions up in the Arctic and much more. Let's kick it off. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert Forto and you're listening to Mushing Radio here on KVRF 89.7 in the Matsu Valley. RadioFreePalmer.org is our live streaming site and you can find all of our episodes over on mushingradio.com and tonight i am joined by one of the top dog mushers in the world his name is brent sass brent you're calling in from eureka alaska how's it going tonight it's going very well uh, summer has finally arrived it's, it's nice and sunny it's a beautiful alaska day it is a beautiful alaska day thank you very much for joining us tonight i'm sure a lot of people that listen to the show know the name brent sass and what you're all about, but can you do us a quick bio? Tell us who you are and what you're all about, please. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, my name is Brent Sass. I've uh, been dog mushing for uh, 20 some years now and uh, just uh, been, you know, going after the Yukon Quest. I did rock. was my goal when I first started this 20 years ago. And um, I live in Eureka, Alaska. Uh, it's about 150 miles northwest of, um, of Fairbanks, uh, remote homestead out here, totally off the grid. And um, I spend all day, every day with my dogs. That's the ultimate goal. And um, we've been having a good time doing it. And I've had some success. So, yeah, just living the dream. <laughs> living the dream for sure. And I'm sure a lot of your fans and followers will know what exactly that means with you. You're very active on uh, social media, Facebook and Instagram in particular. And we'll get those links in a little bit. But, Britt, can we go way back a bit? Uh, you said you've been mushing for a couple of decades or so. You grew up in Minnesota, sort of in the suburbs of Minneapolis. But how did you get first involved with dog mushing? Was it one of those proverbial ways that a lot of us did, or was there a different story? Uh, well, you know, I mean, really the story goes, I, I moved to Alaska in 1998. And um, just to move to Alaska, it was a lifelong dream to move to Alaska. And after I was here for three or four years, just adventuring, I, I was out on the trails with one dog and one dog. I was ski joining and a dog team came by at my feet. And I just looked at that and was like, I want to do that. And like a light bulb went off in my head. And uh, I ended up like chasing that guy down. He's a recreational musher in the Goldstream Valley, uh, just outside of Fairbanks. And 
told him I wanted to be a dog musher and he said come back in two weeks and I came back in two weeks and he handed me a, a six week old puppy and uh, I named him Silver and then the rest is, is kind of history he's Silver is the base of all of my genetics now and after I got Silver I just fell in love with sled dogs and just had an ultimate bond with loyalty with that dog and and uh, from there I just started realizing that I didn't want to just have a six dog team to get further out into the woods. I wanted to, you know, do more, maybe get a bigger team and, and start trying to race. And I got an opportunity to, to work with Susan Butcher and David Munson in my early years. And that really implanted the, the racing side of things. They were on the way out of competitive racing. And so they had so much to share and um, yeah, did all kinds of things, worked at Tina Hot Springs along the way. And, and eventually through David Munson and Susan Butcher, I was out in Eureka and ended up getting this homestead and and uh, been living over out here for almost 12 years now and uh, raising and training huskies I've, I've raised all of my own dogs to train them all myself so um yeah i enjoy the the full the full spectrum of it from from puppies all the way till their champion race sled dogs so as you know brent uh, all of us have that that dog who who sort of started it all for us and you talked about silver and if if i'm not mistaken he is uh, the inspiration behind your logo. Is that right? Yep. Yep. One of the logos that says, I believe on it. And, um, yeah, that was, you know, that dog, he was just this big furry quintessential looking Alaskan Husky who had no race history or anything like that. And, um, he just defied the odds and, you know, the, the whole, my whole genetics basically came from, you know, silver, he proved that he had it mentally and he was just a really big dog, way too big for racing, maybe 80 pounds plus, and um, so I started on this mission to create silver smaller. That was sort of the basis of my genetics. I wanted a dog that could race and, and go fast on the racing scene, but also do well in the Arctic. I spent a lot of time up in the, up in the Arctic above uh, on the other side of the, of the Brooks Range, chewing around, doing expeditions up there. And I wanted a dog that could do that and race. And um, one day I was in Lance Mackey's dog way back in the day. And, and um, he, I was buying a couple dogs from him just to get started, sort of add to my few. And he said, oh, take this little female here and breed her to that big leader you got. And uh, that was like God telling me something to do, you know, at that point. I mean, Lance obviously is one of, was is and was one of the best mushers ever. So, yeah, so that's where it all started. I bred them, and, and, um, and that's where my genetics really based from. So you had mentioned Eureka, and for folks that aren't familiar with Alaska, you are way out there. And I've seen pictures where, you know, you'll have to – to uh to drive the dog team into the homestead and all of that this is definitely off the grid uh so to speak isn't it yeah yep totally you know we we it's 150 miles out to elliot the last 55 60 are on gravel road and then i live about six miles off of the main highway seven miles off of the main highway of which six of that i maintain myself um the, it shuts down in the winter so that six miles is 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 trail so we get in by dog team or snow machine in the wintertime. I try and resupply everything as much as I can before the snow flies because once the snow flies, everything comes in by snow machines, and it's a lot more work than hauling in with a truck. So, But, yeah, I'm the road maintenance guy this year. A bunch of creeks blew out because we had a lot of rain and, and a, a bad breakup, and so I'm out there having to fix it, put new culverts in. Nobody else lives out this road, so it's, it's all up to me to, to keep it going. And I love it. You know, it's 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 something that I uh, I really cherish is taking over this homestead and, and sort of keeping the tradition alive. The people who homesteaded it in 1973 
lived here for 35 years and then uh and i was able to, to take it over from them and uh it's been a it's been a heck of a journey and and every day is a new adventure and that's that's what i love about it my life i always say my life is one big dog race yes for sure now was that place before you moved in was it a a, a musher's place or was it just a regular homestead yeah they they mushed back in the 70s and 80s and 90s at little salter so ed salter ran the quest and he leased a lot of dogs to all the the top dog, dog mushers at that time, like Dee Dee and Rick and and um, uh, Susan and all those guys. Rick and Susan were training out here during that. Eureka has tons of dog mushing history. Rick and Rick Swenson and Susan Butcher both trained during their heyday out in Eureka area out here. Um, and you know, and and for 15 years there's nobody out here. And when I started working for Dave Munson, I got an opportunity to come out to his old place and fix it up. And I looked around, I was like why am I not training dogs out here? So that was 2007. I spent five years living at his place out in Eureka here um, in the winter, training dogs and, you know, running Yukon Quest. And then I did the summers in town working for the Riverboat Discovery and uh, David Munson's place there, the dog show. They did. Um, and along the way, I met in Willis Salter. They were the last remaining residents out here in Eureka, full-time residents. And uh, one day they just decided that they were done and were ready to move to Arizona. And they offered to, for me to buy the place and I couldn't pass it up. That was 2012. And I've just been uh, been on this journey ever since. It's a beautiful place, uh, especially in that early spring and summer. I've seen those pictures on Facebook and uh, definitely living the dream up there. And that's why we move here, isn't it? It's just sort of that little piece of, of heaven or whatever that we, that we call. And uh, before you know it, uh, the decades fly by and, and we're just sort of living it, aren't we? Yeah, it's unbelievable. You know, I never knew what I was getting myself. I mean, I knew it was a big task to take over Homestead and keep it going and have a full-time, you know, professional kennel out here. It's it's a big job, there's no doubt. But I've I've just realized that like the struggle, I'm all about the struggle, the, the not knowing what every day is gonna entail, not knowing what's gonna break down, what's gonna blow up, what's gonna need fixing, you know, and and just having a total wilderness out here. You know, I go hiking every day with the dogs and I can go for miles and miles and miles and not see anybody. And um, uh, that's just something you don't get in a lot of places anymore. And uh, I'm really fortunate to be to be living it out here. We earn it. We work hard. Me and my handlers that I have that um, we definitely work hard for it, but it's but it's worth every every second. So let's jump uh, a decade or two ahead. And uh, you, you really proved yourself uh, over the last decade or so, of course, uh, on Iditarod and the quest in particular. I guess my first question is, of course, I've, I've followed you for a long time. I'm sure a lot of other uh, fans have as well. Do you have a favorite? I know that you won Iditarod for the first time last year in 2022, but you've always been a, a contender in both races. Do you have a favorite between the two if you had to choose? I mean, the Quest is the race that got me started. It's the race that I inspired to run. It was the race that, uh, you know, I volunteered for the Quest early on, and that really, like, lit a, lit a real fire in my belly. And the whole wilderness side of that race, is, I really enjoy you know, I've kind of taken the strategy that I developed in the quest and, and put it and use it in Iditarod. You know, it's a different strategy than most people use, not going through, not using the checkpoints, blowing through checkpoints. And all that is sort of inspired by the quest because there's so few checkpoints in the quest. You kind of have to operate that way. And that always lended to the way my style of mushing. So, but, you know, over the years, I mean, I fell in love with the Iditarod. The Iditarod trail is epic and unique in its own way. 
I mean, the quest will always have that, that soft spot in my, in my heart about, you know, the race that kind of got it all going for me, but it also lined it up and, and made it so I could become a, an Iditarod champion as well. So I love all of them. And I just love being with my dogs out on the trail and, and all the races provide different challenges. And so that's why I try and race so much every year. Just, uh, you never know the, the adventures that each race brings is, is very different. So not to put you on the spot or at all, Brent, but what do you think? Are they going to get their act together and bring it back to a thousand mile race on the quest? Or do you think they still got a lot of work to do? I mean, I think there's still, there's, there's, there's still some challenges to overcome. I think, um, the split was rough, but there's just different, um, different mindsets on the, on the Canadian side than we have on the American side on, on what to do for the race. And, um, I don't, I don't, it's going to be, I think there's some communication and I think there is hope for it for sure. But there's definitely going to have to be some compromise on both sides. And the biggest thing is from the American side, we just don't want to lose the essence of the quest. We don't want to take away what makes the quest unique, all those wilderness aspects and the run your own race and being able to really sort of be the ghost forever and be disappeared and then pop out of nowhere. That's the Yukon quest, you know. And so we, we want to pres- preserve that. So we'll see. But um, um, until then, you know, the, the quest has got a races on both sides. And, um, you know, I hope that they can continue to grow those races. But the ultimate goal is, of course, to, to have another another thousand mile quest back. And have have you run both sides of that race? Uh, you know, the Canadian side and the American side since the split. I have. Yep. In 2022, I went over there. No. Yeah. The, uh, 21, I went over there and ran uh, their 300 mile race. Um and uh yeah that was a blast it was it was really good really fun race um we won so it was a it was a good it was a good warm-up for Iditarod rob between that race and the 350 on the american side running two different races getting geared up for Iditarod. it was uh was actually a really really good time it's just a lot of travel to get all the way over to canada and do all that go through the border stuff and then get back here to go do Iditarod. so um it's a little bit more traveling around Right. And, and as we mentioned, uh, in 2022, uh, you won, I did a rod. How'd that feel for you? I know, uh, that was a long time coming, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, it was the period at the end of the sentence, uh, you know, and, uh, I had been fighting for that for a long time. And so, you know, and I had a lot of success in the, in the quest and, and I brought all those things I learned there and, and, uh, all, everything came together in 2022. I have a real, I had a really good dog team and, and, it was really fun to, to go to battle with with Dallas. It was it was a it was a challenging race. It was definitely the hardest race of my career, and just knowing I was going up against Dallas and knowing I could never let my guard down and being in the lead the entire way, it was a, it was a, it was quite an adventure. But you know we persevered. The dogs were excellent, and um, yeah, it was uh, yeah it was awesome. It was a, it was a dream come true. And like I said earlier, when I set out as a dog musher as a young guy who didn't know anything at all. I, I, you know, opened my mouth and said, I want to win the Yukon quest and I want to win the Iditarod. Those are my goals. And, you know, 20 years later it, it, uh, it came to fruition. So yeah, it was awesome. And I hope to go back and do it again. You know, last year was a real bummer, um, with my, with my teeth issues. And, um, it was a real, uh, just a tragedy to, to leave the race, but I had to make the right decision for me and my dogs. And, and that was the right one. So we'll be back this year. Yeah. Speaking of that, I just wanted to touch on that real quick. Uh, man, I remember when that happened and that really threw everybody sort of for a loop because, oh my goodness, what in the world's going on with this guy? Can you share a little bit about that other than what's been shared in, you know, sort of the Iditarod media, if you will? 
Yeah, I mean, basically, you know, I, I unfortunately uh, started the race with a pretty, pretty bad cold, a sinus infection that was growing, and I was pretty ill for most of the race. But, you know, just kind of tried to keep my attitude up and, and, and use every ounce of energy I possibly could. And, um, you know, right around that uh, shagalock period there, I started having some really bad pain in my mouth. And um, it was, I had two, in the end, I had two abscessed teeth and, and lots of infection. And it was um, very painful, something I had never experienced before, you know. And basically what the doctor said is I was run down from the sinus infection. And, and uh, then the infections that were kind of brewing, I knew I had some cracked teeth and some problems I had to deal with. But I was just kind of kicking it down down the road you know during the season and it was something oh, i'm gonna get a fix this summer and yeah it bit me in the butt but you know and i just got to the point where i couldn't i i, I you know i'm a pretty tough person i feel like i i've endured a lot out on the trail and this is just something i couldn't i really just couldn't function and um i wasn't being able to take care of all the details of the dogs and i just felt like it was uh a, the best move and it was in the end like i needed to get some antibiotics i needed to get some care and I need to get those teeth. I've had uh, two root canals so far, and I got another one I got to go deal with here. So I'm going to have all those problems dealt with, so I'm going to be ready to rock and roll this year. And, you know, teeth issues are no joke. I've been in a lot of pain in my life, you know, broken bones and fingers and all sorts of stuff. But, boy, when that when that smacks you in the mouth, literally, uh, that mouth pain, it, it really puts you to your knees, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I, and I was, and I mean, I was the last couple hundred miles, my last hundred miles that I, that I ran there, I was barely hanging out of the sun. Like I was doing everything I could just to stay awake and at it. I, I was, uh, yeah, I was in a hurting way and, and I just never felt so debilitated during the race, you know, all the sleep deprivation and all the stuff that I've went through out there was just unlike any of that. And so, yep, it's, 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 uh, it was a hard decision, but it was the only one I was faced with at that point. And, um, I was just lucky to get out and get the care I needed and get myself back on track. And yeah, and, uh, it is what it is. I've had a roller coaster ride my entire career when you, when you, when you throw it all out on the table, sometimes, the, you know, you, you get eaten up by it. And, um, and I definitely have had, you know, a roller coaster, but I, I don't ever, uh, you just got to look forward. You know, you can't look back at it anymore. It was, it happened and, uh, I got a similar dog team this coming season. So I'm really stoked about them and, um, yeah, just can't wait to get back out on the trail. It definitely can't come soon enough now. And you mentioned at the top, Brent, that uh, you spend quite a bit of time in the Arctic, in particular, right after I did a rod, everything's sort of settling down. You go up and, and do uh, an expedition or two, and often you will have folks that come up and do that with you. Uh, they can pay to do that, I, am, I assume, and uh, go on that trip with you. You're one of the few folks that does anything like that. Can you share sort of what that's all about and what's the process with that? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's something that was something that I adopted. It was one of the main reasons I got into the dogs. Is I wanted, I went up there when I up to the Arctic when I first moved to Alaska, and I went hiking up there and realized you couldn't cover hardly any ground. And one year I was up there and saw a dog team, and I was like, man, that's the way to do it. So that sort of was one of the big inspirations getting a dog to go be able to travel up there and then as i got a bigger kennel and you know you start to learn the the, the months that aren't great to be around and in fairbanks you know april was a definitely definitely a bad time to be around because it was melting and mud season in the dog so i just decided that i'm just going to move the kennel to the arctic set up a camp and just hang out up there and and, and run dogs 
And that's what I started doing. And so for 15 years, 10 years, I did that for fun and sort of built up my knowledge and just the dogs, extra training, all the young dogs get extra training. And we get to see the young dogs. You don't get to look at very much during the season because I'm so focused on the race dogs. And then I just turned it into a business. And so for the last five or six years, I have I guide expeditions this year. I had uh, 27 different clients, three different groups, and they come up and um, we take them from the trailhead at Galbraith Lake and mush them into my camp. And we have Arctic ovens and heaters and, and we set the whole dog yard. I had my entire kennel up there for, I was there for 42 days this year. And um, it's a great end of the season way to make a bunch of money. And, you know, it's, it's my, it's my main income this time of year or for the whole season really. And so the dogs pay their way and, and we have to buckle down after I did a rod, but, um, it's really a blast up there and, and um, excellent uh, tra- training uh, for the dogs. That's the biggest real benefit is the, the training and the extra month and more you get uh, up there from, from really anywhere else. Yeah, as a lot of folks, they're, they're sort of winding down at that point, especially down here in the Matsu Valley and, of course, Anchorage area and whatnot. I mean, it's like you said, it's it's muddy and mucky and, and you know, there's not a lot going on, but you sort of have... Uh, a second season, if you will, there in in the late uh, the late winter. So, with your clients, is it uh, a week long trip? Is it a weekend? What is it about? Uh, and how can folks find out more about it? Yeah, so they, it's usually uh, like a five day trip. It's a, a a day of transportation. It's a long drive up to up to the trailhead, and then they come in for three days into the camp. They mush the dogs into the camp, and then. We hang out at the base camp and do day trips from there. Um, and uh, I have tons of trails I put in and just epic stuff right at the base of the, the northern slopes of the Brooks Range. And we just do day trips. And, then, you know, people that are more experienced or have want to go farther, we do some really long trips. Other people just want a couple hours a day. It's kind of a, a unique experience and, and custom to the, to the actual clients we have. And, um, yeah, so it's like a five-day five total. And um, you can find more about it on my website, wildfreealaska.com. Um, the Arctic expeditions, a lot of the details are, are right there on the website and yeah, we're, we're, uh, already, we're filling up for next year already and, um, really looking forward to getting back up there. I, you know, it's, it's a long push at the end of the season and then finally get here in mid May and, and, uh, I'm just putting all my stuff away finally from that and it won't be long before we're all taking it all back out, but, um, have dogs must mush. That's my, uh, <laughs> that's my motto. I love it. Uh, and it sounds like an excellent trip and a, a good way to really introduce people to, to real mushing. It's just not one of those quick tours on, on the, uh, on the cruise ship or, or whatever. So Brent, I always ask my guest, uh, to tell a story or two about, uh, one or two of your dogs. And I'm sure you have a whole bunch of them. You share a lot of of great stories over on social media, but let's break it down and, and tell us a story about one or two of your favorites. We've already talked about silver a little bit, but I'm sure you really have some great up and comers uh, in the next uh, year or so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've got, I've got a lot, I've got a really a great set of dogs and, you know, like I said, they're all very connected genetically. They're all related back to silver on at least one side of their genetics and and so they all you know because of that i've been doing it for almost you know breeding dogs for almost 20 years now um you know i've created a dog that i love and so um it's it's been really fun and i feel like i've been able to connect more with all my dogs as as the generations go on and i'm sure all the mushers that have been breeding dogs for this long feel the same way and most of them are you know sons of silver the the slater uh, my Slater is the is the main leader now. He's kind of the 
the main go-to guy. He was he's a two-time Quest champion and I did rod champion, a Copper Basin champion, and in lead all the time. Oils can be big, furry, Arctic-looking dog that uh, can just get the job done. And he's the one that you know basically got us out of the storm in the Iditarod at the end of the at the end of the race there. Him and my dog Morello, those two were kind of my go-tos and the ones that really made the Iditarod happen for me. And um, yeah, they were the ones that got me out of the the Topcock Hills. And when the wind was blowing 60, 70 miles an hour, and we got blown off the trail in that in that race in 22. And um, you know, once we got, they were blazing into it. And when I got blown off and drug the whole team out, they were willing and able to get back up and get me back to the trail and then and get that last 35, 40 miles of the finish line. So. Yeah, I mean, really, Slater's the man, and his son Blizzard now is kind of coming up. He's a three-year-old, and he's going to be kind of filling his shoes. So the the generations now, it's the grandkids and the great grandkids of Silver that are uh, that are taking on the reins and, and leading the team. So how old is Slater? You had mentioned his uh, his offspring was was three. How old is Slater? He is just turned eight. So this is going to be his him and his two brothers. Woody and Pink, the blonde dogs, how everyone knows them. They're the they're kind of this is their kind of last hurrah. I think they're I think they're totally fit for it and ready for it. They have so much experience behind underneath their belts and, and so much knowledge that I'm I'm pretty sure they're still going to be a strong force in the team this year. But um, I do have a bunch of young ones coming up, so there's there's that fight this year for those three main guys. If they get beat out, or if any of them get beat out, that means I've got some really strong dogs coming up the coming up the pipeline. But I hope they get they make the team, and I'm able to to take them them to know them one more time before they retire and and their kids take over. I, I love it, uh, Brett. One more dog question is: Do you have a naming system that you stick with i know people are just enthralled with how we all name our sled dogs what's your process if you have one <laughs> uh i don't really have a process it's usually a theme. So like the last year the theme was uh game of thrones characters there's so many game of thrones characters so right. I, I i did game of thrones characters I, a lot of movie characters um uh, uh is what they come they spur from there's been trees and rivers and it's a lot of themes. I can definitely remember the litters by themes. And so there's always a theme to the litter, but it's, it's what's going on or if someone gives me a good idea, but I'm, I'm definitely the guy who holds off until they're six weeks plus old or eight weeks or even a little older until they start forming personalities that I really choose it. So my handlers are always breathing down my neck to try and name the puppies right now. And I'm like, ah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a long process for me. I got to live with it. They got to live with it their whole life. So I want to do it, do them right by it. Right. So for folks that are listening, it is definitely a theme thing for sure. That's the way that we do it. And, and uh, yeah, you're right. It sort of just sticks with them forever. So you got to pick out a, a cool name. You'd mentioned Morello. Uh, I believe you said his or her name was, is that a, a, uh, Tom Morello theme from Rage Against the Machine or somewhere else? No, it's um, it's a character from Orange is the New Black. Okay. Like a women's prison show. Yeah. Um, there was some really good character names in there. So, yeah, there was Healy and um, who else? Mendez and Caputo. Yeah, they were really good names. Um, but Morello, uh, yeah, she shined through as, as, as the superstar. I, I love it for sure. So, Brent, uh, before we run out of time here, you had mentioned that you are going to be running Iditarod this year. You said right before air that, my goodness, you put a lot on your plate last year. I think you said you ran five races or something like that leading up to Iditarod. What else is on the plate here as we get ready to do the summer signups and oh. all that uh, coming up for Iditarod? 
I'm definitely uh, signing up for a Ditterod. And, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, there'll be some other ones. I'm, I'm kind of uh, winging my choice between Cusco and the Quest right now. Probably one of those uh, races for sure. Um, and then I'm going to try and spend a little more time just training in Eureka and using all the valuable trails and conditions and everything I have up here and, and put my focus on making trails out here through December and into January and then maybe start my race season, uh, you know, towards the end of January and in February, March. But but I'll be out there uh, at least in two or three races this season for sure. And we'll definitely follow you along and put that over on your show notes. I like to give uh, folks a, a little bit of time to to thank their sponsors or fans. If you would like, uh, it's sort of the floor is yours. Do you have anybody that want to give a shout out to? Yeah, I mean, all my sponsors and supporters and fans and, and friends out there, I, I couldn't do it. This, you know, it takes a village is, uh, is an understatement. And I have a, a very big support crew sort of behind the scenes and some really big main sponsors uh, in Manmatten, Dogwoods.com, um, Lobins, uh, you know, uh, just a lot of different companies and, and, and um, people that support me. So wouldn't be here without them. Big shout out to all of them, all my dog sponsors and, uh, and really all the fans. This, we wouldn't have a sport if we didn't have fans. So, so appreciate everyone following along and um, following the adventure. And where are you most active? Facebook, uh, Instagram, both where? Yeah, Facebook and Instagram, everything gets shared. I, I'm most active on Instagram and everything gets shared to Facebook. And then there's a lot more of the sponsorship stuff that's posted on Facebook. So you can find me at Wild and Free Mushing on Facebook and uh, be wild.free uh, on uh, Instagram. Very good. All right, guys, this is Brent Sass. Of course, uh, I, I don't need to tell you, but definitely follow this guy coming up uh, this year. He's always a, a very exciting guy to watch out there on the trail brent good luck to you in the upcoming season and we look forward to talking to you again okay yeah thanks a lot for having me tonight thank you on behalf of my guest tonight brent sass this is robert forto for mushing radio we will see you guys next time goodbye from dog works radio this is mushing radio we hope you enjoyed this episode and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.